0: This episode of that does suit madam is brought to you by bristle brush pajama company specializing in extra large tops and extra small bottoms free brim steaming brush with every purchase.
1: Mr. Brandon, are you free?
0: Uh, I'm free! Grounded for pulmonary, stationery and lunches, I'm Brandon.
1: And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a this podcast well, about are you being served oh
0: oh, gladys there you go hello mr jeff hello unanimous
1: hello gladys hello mr brandon hello unanimous
0: Ah, gotta say this is probably why everyone has subscribed to our podcast to listen to this episode don't you think
1: i think this is one of the fan favorites that we've been building up to
0: but i'm going to say that about every episode of season seven
1: It's true though There are so many fan favorites in this one uh, But I think a lot of people are really excited to hear What we've got to say about the apartment They're they're waiting upon our every word The power has gone straight Bated to breath. our heads
0: <laughs> um, We would like to um, thank everyone for interacting with our podcast um, It's a two-way street We talk to you, but you're talking back to us So that's kind of cool And if you're new to the show You are called the unanimous Which is the collective noun for the listenership Lady Gaga has the little monster critters or whatever. Um, does Billy Joel and have Mariah, the Joel heads or, I don't know.
1: Mariah Carey has the lambs. The lambs. And um, Kesha has her animals. And yeah. So Tim you, Burton the has unanimous. the
0: scissors, <laughs> I guess. You are the unanimous. And that was a public vote we took on the podcast. Was it not, Mr. Jeff?
1: It was. It was no, indeed, Mr. Brand. It was indeed a vote. Uh, yeah, so thanks <laughs> to everyone who got in touch with us on Facebook. Um, Robin, uh, Gary from Scotland, who introduced his wife to the show via our Thank podcast. Thank you, Gary. And
0: Mrs. Gary. Uh,
1: Gary. Alan, who would really want to hear what we have to say about Last of the Summer Wine. So maybe we might do a special episode in between Are You Being Served and Are You Being Served Again? Who Ooh. knows? Or maybe between upcoming seasons. I will say,
0: like, we keep hearing from the unanimous that they demand, nay, what I'm trying to say
1: what's a stronger word than demand? Come um, on Roger's thesaurus
0: yeah, I'm looking at thumb thumb through thumb through um, they're they almost they're lighting their torches uh, to demand that um, we do an episode or or several on grace and favor slash are you being served again? The people demand it, and um, it's nice that we can always say, don't worry, children, we're going to cover it so because um, I, I haven't watched this episode since. They were aired on PBS back in the early mid-90s. So,
1: Me too. I don't think I've watched them since first run. So it's going to be all brand new to me.
0: Yeah, and it's i mean—it's definitely mean, canon, although I also consider the movie being canon. Mr. Jeff does not. Uh, that, Heritage. That's a whole
1: fracas there.
0: But yeah, so <laughs> Alan from the UK. And um, we've been getting a lot of the UK folks. So hello, United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. Yeah, take Island. back
1: the percentages. You know, right now... I think only about a quarter of our audience listens in from the UK and, you know, we want to get those numbers up. So tell your friends, uh, you know, in uh, on the other side of the pond to listen to us. I think it's Twitter. Um, I
0: think that the British folks love the Twitter and the American folks love the Facebook. But who knows? But
1: that was good. Could be indeed. (laughs) We also got a ton of email this week. Uh, In metric, that's a fuck ton of email. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we heard from Sam, whose husband is from Leicester and went to Beecham College.
0: Not Boocham. and she
1: thought that it was just him that pronounced it that way. But no, that's uh, that's really it. We heard from Christopher, who is an eighty kid, eighties kid, and watches the show over and over and over again.
0: That sounds familiar. Um,
1: <laughs> and we also got a hot tip from our. Roving reporter and superfan Jeff Y., the other Jeff, mm-hmm. who told us that back in 2014, there was this dinner theater in Hampshire, uh, Hampshire, England, not New Hampshire, Hampshire, that did a murder mystery show called Are You Being Severed?
0: And he emailed us the image of it, and I looked at it, and it took me 30 seconds to realize it didn't say served it said severed, <laughs> which it kind of looked like a nineteen I'm sure they were like doing a play on words. Cute right. joke there. But that was cool. Thanks, uh, other Jeff. And yep. um, also want to throw out something I'm trying to do on the social media platforms. Um, we love getting voicemails, and we, we do get a good amount. We can't play all of them on the show. Um, the last episode, Strong Stuff That Insurance. No, Strong Stuff This Insurance. Excuse me. Um, We heard from superfan Kimberly. Kimberly. I was going to say Katie. Kimberly. Um, So if we would love to hear your voicemail, so call the Peacock hotline, 662-PEACOCK, and um, leave a voicemail to let us know your favorite episode of Are You Being Served or your favorite episode of this podcast and let us know why. And if you're not in the States, uh, you can leave um, a voicemail by recording one on your phone and then emailing it to us. So plug, plug, plug.
1: And after you send us a voicemail, please wash your hands, wear a mask, and as always, Black, lives, Black matter. lives Matter.
0: Hooray. So, Mr. Jeff, again, why are we here listening to ourselves talk into our magical microphones about this show that's 45 <laughs> years
1: old? What's what's going on? So tonight we're going to talk about Series 7, Episode 3, The Apartment. Oh. And that originally premiered on November second, 1979. Okay. And that week in the news... Studio 54's owners, Steve Rubel and Ian Schrager, were arrested for tax evasion. Um, they eventually went on to open the Palladium, which is a nightclub that I've talked about because I went there very frequently in my high because school Because Mr. Age. Jeff
0: was a club kid dressed in, like, pink hair and probably face paint and, like, self-styled clothes that he got. Who knows where. I'm I'm that's what I'm picturing of you.
1: I only wish I could have been as cool <laughs> enough to dress like a real club kid. Did you have a chain wallet? I did not have a chain <laughs> wallet, but what I did have is I did have Jenko jeans that were way too big for me. <laughs> um I had a lot of t-shirts from Liquid Sky Design, which was um next door to the Beastie Boys store in East Village. Um okay. and definitely a lot of um suede sneakers
0: you know liquid sky that seems so like not early 90s to me like the idea of things being liquid because do you remember liquid television on mtv yeah like i yep. just remember a bunch of weird cgi like spiritual kind of like cloudy and then there'd be like a crow crossing the screen anything liquid for the 90s i don't know what that was about but um <laughs> do you remember this the 54 movie with ryan Philippi? And um, Mike Myers. I've never seen it. Oh, it came out in like '96 or something. And it was all the disco music. A little Gay Brandon was eating it up, man.
1: <laughs> okay, what else happened? So, so a, a little bit of a downer. Yeah. Um, the Iran hostage crisis began Ew. that week. Um, Fifty-two American citizens were held hostage for 444 days. Uh, they were released uh, the same day that Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as president. And the whole reason why this happened was after the Shah was overthrown, Mm -hmm. the Iranian Shah was overthrown and replaced under Islamic rule by the Ayatollah Khomeini, the Shah went to the U.S. for cancer treatment, and Iran demanded his immediate return so he could stand trial. And the U.S. just didn't do it. They didn't, like, rip him out of the hospital and, and deport him. And so in retaliation for that, um, some extremists went to these measures and it's a pretty famous moment in American history where these people were, you know, for over, over a year, you know, from, um, from November 79 to January 81. So they missed, you know, two Thanksgivings and two Christmases, um, being held hostage. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah.
0: Some, okay, tax evasion and hostages, so end <laughs> this episode. So there you go.
1: So now we've got some good news of the uh, episode to make us laugh. <laughs> what a Debbie Downer <laughs> I am sometimes. I got to make sure yeah, so to listen, always throw in some something happy lighthearted. Things, you know, like did,
0: did little puppies have their first treat on that week, <laughs> next week, maybe, Jeff?
1: Can you look that up next time?
0: <laughs> anyway, so let's crack on. Let's, let's talk about the apartment.
1: So we start off the scene with Mr. Humphreys trying to sell a jacket that's made from a hard-wearing barthea, And I thought this might have been one of those fabrics that they made up for the episode, but it's actually a real thing. (laughs) Um, It's a fine woolen cloth with a twill weave that gives a pebbled appearance. Um, But the joke here, which the audience didn't get, is that barthea is somewhat delicate, right? So it's not like... It's not like a silk or a nylon that's going to run or tear very easily, But it's not like worsted wool. It's not like tweed, right? It's not you wouldn't call it hard wearing. So It's
0: like saying a um, hard-wearing Kleenex shirt. <laughs> I guess
1: not. Not as you know, Not as uh, as too extreme as that. Yeah, but I did but notice
0: like they laughed, and I'm like, I don't
1: get. No, it. No, but no one, no one laughed. Like I think there might have been one like hot from the audience. <laughs> who worked but
0: in, the, in, the, went, in the clothing industry or something?
1: <laughs> right. He he actually worked at Simpsons of Piccadilly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was the continuity editor, so he's the one who gave <laughs> or the him writers themselves laugh.
0: writing at their bad joke. Right. Maybe
1: I don't know. I mean, yeah. So um, Lucas then upsells the customer in Ascot, and the customer picks up a walking stick. So they're going to do great on the commission. Well, Goldberg comes back after having been in the cloakroom, and he says that he's got a tweed jacket that's going to go better with a stick. Mm -hmm. It's a special offer, 20 pounds more expensive than the original. And that gets a laugh, (laughs) right? Because... It's not so special because you're just pulling more money out Why of this not? customer's pocket. Why not?
0: Well, of course, they're all sharing commissions, so, you know.
1: That's right. On the gentleman, that's the agreement that they made in the mm-hmm. beginning of this series. That's right. And then over on the ladies' counter, Miss Brahms is alone. And as is habit, when Miss Brahms is left to her own devices, when she doesn't have Mrs. Slocum taking the first Breathing customers or neck. telling her yeah. what to do, she does pretty well for herself, right? Yeah. And so she's, you know, she's selling... Uh, um, She's selling. She says to the customer that uh, if she wants cotton wool to stuff in them, <laughs> uh, she can get on the ground floor, assuming that she sold her a brassiere. That's so funny. Uh, and we find out that Mrs. Silcum is late because she's moving and she couldn't get the day off. Right? Grace
0: Brothers. I'm, I'm glad I don't work there because they just don't give people the day off for anything. My for wife anything. is having a baby, and eh, you'll have the weekend to see your child. You know. Come on, Mister uh, Mister
1: so, on cue, Mrs. Silicom comes out of the lift carrying a canary cage for Winston, who we met in uh, Series 3, Episode 9, Christmas Crackers. Did we? And then a and then another one for Tittles, the cat. I'm trying to remember Winston. Uh... So, maybe we didn't meet him, or maybe she like referenced him for the first time, but that's where we learn that she has a canary in addition to... Um, a, a cat. And, of course, uh,
0: named for... Sir Winston Churchill, of course. Because, you know, she's a probably, good British per- probably. lady. Probably, yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> I believe the joke in season three was something like, um, I left the, the side of my pussy leaves my canary clawing to the curtains or something. Like oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. You're so good. Yeah. Okay, you get a ding yeah. for that. Good job.
1: <laughs> so... So Mister Captain Peacock wants to know why she's been so late. I mean, she had to supervise uh, them them getting her stuff on the van. Mm-hmm. You know how clumsy those removal men are. I'm not having them handling my pussy. Was that right? too
0: early in the show, Jeff, to be considered a good pussy joke?
1: No, because she actually has tittles does with
0: her. How does right? that land on your matrix that you've made and the, the flowchart and...
1: Five stars. Tables. This is the per- <laughs> this is the perfect timing oh, good. for a pussy joke because the pussy is present, okay. right? Ah, good. Uh, Captain Peacock sticks his finger in the cage and the cat bites him. Willie hasn't had his breakfast. It was yet. so cute. He was like, "I'm
0: quite good with with animals." And then the poor little cage like shakes and you hear the cat go. Right.
1: So cute. Yeah. <laughs> um she asked for three days off, but Rumbled wouldn't allow it. Of course. Uh, and so, you know, she's, she's in a right state because all she's done is seen everything go on the van. They're going to be driving it over to her new flat, unloading it, and then she's got to sort through all the boxes still. Well, the phone rings and Miss Brahms answers in a very refined voice. Ladies intimate apparel. She has to repeat herself. All right. Nick is a knock covers. What do you want? That was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Slocum grabs the uh, <laughs> grabs the phone out of her ear, and you'll see that she does that thing that's very common. I think, up until the 80s, where women would remove an earring. If they had a particularly chunky earring or a large earring, they would remove it before putting the earpiece next. I guess it could get caught and, mm-hmm. or something. And if you were a, a fan right? of
0: Britcoms, what other show might you be very aware of that uh, procedure happening? Oh,
1: that's right. I forgot that Mrs. Hyacinth Bouquet, the lady of the house speaking, always takes her earring off.
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I can also picture... Um... Margaret Thatcher doing it for some reason. (laughs) I wonder if it was just like, that's what the posh, that's what the quality do. Do you know what I mean? Or
1: that's just what uh, was done in The Crown. Oh, yeah, The Crown. Maybe.
0: But I mean, I think earrings back then were... Here's what I, I wonder. I wonder if big, chunky earrings close to the earlobe were considered proper, but dangly ones were considered lewd.
1: Oh, dangly ones were definitely considered common. Newt to me.
0: I don't know. But there you go.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Uh, So on the phone is Mr. Armstrong, who's the van driver. (laughs) And he tells Mrs. Slocum some bad news. Do you want to do your best impression?
0: I've got squatters in my new flat. (laughs) I can't do it as well as she did. But the way she does, I've got squatters in my new flat. Oh, my gosh. That's like one of the quotable things.
1: For her, Mrs. Slocum. Indeed. Um, she's so flustered. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, and she feels that she shouldn't be the victim here. You know, they've got a squad on people who live in council flats and millionaires. And I think that she packs so much in with that one line or the writers do at least because it speaks to both the classist classist structure of English culture as well as the downturn of the middle class as well as the myth of of the welfare queen.
0: Yeah. but I want to back up. I'm curious. When I was a kid – and it's funny because as we hear from the unanimous, like everyone watched this as a kid. And we do have some young folks who are watching this for, for the first time. But when I was a kid and watched this, I had no freaking idea what a squatter was. And I'm, I don't think we hear about that a lot in the States. I wonder if that was a very 70s kind of thing as well. Because mm. I, when I was in the UK, I didn't hear of, oh, there's squatters everywhere. But I, I heard it from, are you being served? So what are you, are you familiar with the, with the concept very much?
1: I, I was familiar with it when I watched this first run for me, mm. right? Okay. Uh, and I guess I probably would have picked that up from pop culture elsewhere anywhere. Uh, it's basically when people um, take over an abandoned piece of property, and if they live there for a certain period of time, they're able to claim certain rights to it. If you know, It's not their fault that the landlord wasn't charging them rent because the landlord didn't know that they were living there. Um, and so, in certain jurisdictions, I know that squatters do have some degree of rights, but I think also this is just one of those tropes on about te- on television comedies, um, much like getting amnesia. Or quick, quick! Sentence. Sentence. I was going to say, you know, <laughs>
0: you know, the idea of if you think of no, nineteen seventy nine. If you go back in time, and we do kind of. At least, I won't say we. I do this on the podcast a lot. Um, If you think of the context of the 60s, 70s, late 70s, 80s, um, the cities were sort of going downhill and going downhill fast. People were fleeing the cities. Now, I know this is an American concept, but I'm sure it happened in the UK too. People were leaving London, uh, leaving New York City for the suburbs where you can build a new house and expand and have a nice car and a driveway, blah, blah, blah. Um, So... The inner city um, was going downhill. So there were a lot of apartments that lost value, buildings, you know, no one wanted to buy them. So a lot of them, especially in like uptown Manhattan, um, buildings, entire blocks would be abandoned. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a good time for cities. So I suppose maybe back then, maybe I'm being a bit too historical minded here. But I could see maybe squatters kind of hopping around and... If there was a bunch of buildings not being lived in you could hop in and you know live so maybe it was a thing Uh, a period of the a, a, a facet of that period maybe
1: i wouldn't be surprised if we get a squatter's resurgence as the um as the pandemic starts to wind down you know because a lot of people fled major cities uh because of fear of how the cities would handle um, the the crisis and the containment, and if they'd be able to have hospital beds to serve them. You know, people went back to suburbia, suburbia or r- rural places in order to be able to enjoy a more idyllic life during the pandemic. And so there's a lot of property that is going um, uninhabited. I think in, in, in New York City proper, I think the metric is somewhere around 17% hmm. of wow. all property is uninhabited right now. And when you look at our housing crisis and when you look at people who are um, displaced and um, have uh, housing inadequacy, it's, it's insane to think that there's all of these places for people to live, but they're just priced out of it. And there's no way to give them the social benefits in order to be able to afford anything close to that.
0: Yeah, so and, maybe you're right. Um, maybe it's not just a, a, a product of the 70s. I mean, maybe maybe it was just a thing that was in the social fabric of 1979, and no. there's a word for it, and we just don't have that word for it these days. But uh,
1: no. weird. So one of the things that I didn't quite understand, though, when I about this line when I was a kid is the idea of council flats.
0: Yeah, me right? too.
1: In, in, in context, I just thought they were – projects, you know, what we have as social housing here in the States, mm-hmm. but it's not like that at all, you know, um, here in the States, um, about, about 1% of all Americans live in public housing and it's, your eligibility is usually tied to your income. Yeah. Right. So in New York city, uh, if you're a single person and you have an income below $64,000, you can be eligible for public housing, at which your rent is capped at thirty percent of your income, and there are newer programs which are rent to buy and things like that uh, as well. And for by the way, who are closer 000, to the top end.
0: Sixty-four thousand dollars. Like, how many Ameri- What what percentage of Americans make that or below? <laughs> like. Oh, Eighty <laughs> percent. So sixty-four thousand dollars in New York City. People are like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." It really isn't, you know. Like a one-bedroom does rent not go very is far. Eighteen, nineteen hundred dollars, and we're not talking about Manhattan here, you know. Right. So talking out of boroughs, crazy, yeah. yeah.
1: But meanwhile, in the UK, about se- today, about 17% of the population lives in council housing. Okay. And it's not tied to your income, but to your savings and your assets. Oh. So if you have savings below £32,000 or below £44,000, then you qualify for council housing. You'll be on a wait list for years, but you qualify, right? Hmm. Um rents are really affordable you know if you take a look at rents in Camden, the borough of Camden, central London, mm-hmm. for council housing, you can get a one bedroom flat for around eight hundred pounds a month that's around eleven hundred dollars okay. um which you know free market rents are definitely not that no. cheap uh and then low income people would be also be eligible for a housing benefit so it's just a very different approach to that, and there's also less. There's less stigma. I wouldn't say there's no stigma, but there's less stigma about living in a council flat. Can
0: you imagine if, you know, the Biden administration, they would never do it because it would never pass. But uh, if they say, all right, listen, folks, if you have $45,000 or less in assets, you can go and get and apply for a government subsidized apartment for half the market rate. Yeah, That would be almost everybody. I mean – I'm not talking about people's finances here, but $44,000 in the bank, that's, you know, that's a lot. I don't think people have that. So it's very kind of interesting. This one little line that Mrs. Slocum says, to, to wrap it up here, really, um, it, it, there's a lot of stuff to unpack with that one little line, you know. Yeah.
1: So she's got to deal with this. She's got to deal with the squatters, but she also has to deal with her belongings on the van because Mr. Armstrong has another job that afternoon. So he can't uh, leave her things on the flat. So she takes down his phone number and says she'll call him back. I don't understand where this telephone is that she's calling Mr. Armstrong back on because this is well before the era of mobile phones. So do you think that he's either back at his office? waiting for the lunchtime, you know, the time to come to go pick up the other, uh, the second, uh, uh, trip or that's the number for central office and he's got a walkie talking and they would radio to him <laughs> again to tell him Jeff's, what to get. Uh,
0: Jeff's brain here. Um, <laughs> I'm
1: overthinking this one a
0: little bit. Um, I don't know, but it's interesting too, because I thought the same thing like, Oh, um, she has to figure out where, what number she can reach him on. And she has to write right. it down with a pencil. Which was very unlike what would happen today, of course. Um,
1: right, you just look at caller ID and confirm that that's the right one, and then go. Yeah,
0: yeah. or people would just text each other now. I think who knows.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, so we cut to Mr. Rumble's office, and he has spoken to young Mr. Grace, who is prepared to help. And I would have you given you the day off if you had just asked. Well. She did ask, right? She went through the proper channels (laughs) and asked Captain Peacock, who who relayed the message to Mr. Rumbold, but he did so when they were both in the men's room. In what way do you think
0: this was conveyed, Mr. Jeff?
1: Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he he passed a note under the door. I think that he was kind of speaking because we hear Mr. Rumbold say, you should know by now that I close my ears to suggestions in the washroom, which gets a reaction from Captain Peacock. Um... Which he usually doesn't react to a lot of the um, the the double entendres and the innuendos. Mm, you're right? right. No, you're right. Um, he's usually he's usually the straight man in that. So young Mister Grace is going to allow Missus Slocum to store her belongings in Department Five B on the top
0: floor, which looks suspiciously like the third floor. The uh...
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> the same layout, but you know, this that department is under renovations, right? Yep. Um, we top executives do have hearts, you know. And she's so grateful. She's so kind. She's got to call the van driver. May I use your telephone? Well, certainly not. Use the call box by the lift. He is offended that she would (laughs) dare to ask use his telephone.
0: Yeah, and a call box is like a payphone. A public telephone, Can you imagine, like, the gall of that? Like, no, you can't use my phone, peasant. Go and (laughs) use the public phone. I'm not having your ear on my receiver. My God.
1: So public telephones in the UK... um, were they operated by coin or did you have to buy a card?
0: No, I don't think back then they would have had a card because, I mean, the 79, it was still very much a coin thing, even in the States, too. Well, we've never taken cards on a, on a pay payphone in the States, have we?
1: Well, not one that you, could, that you would put in a slot. Um, I remember, like, when I was growing up, we had a plastic card that came from AT&T that if we had to make a phone call from a payphone, we could charge it back to our home bill. I know that we could do that.
0: Do you remember MCI? Do you remember all of those commercials?
1: I do remember (laughs) MCI, right? (laughs) I'm dating When I was studying in France, this was in the mid-90s, none of the the public telephones took coins. You had to go to a kiosk or uh, a, a tobacco store or a candy store or whatever and buy a public telephone card that you'd put the chip in.
0: Oh, interesting. And I think
1: that there were a lot of European countries that operated that way that made the switch over from coins to, um, to the cards pretty early on. And
0: now there are no such things as telephones anymore.
1: No, no more public. <laughs> well, now, we have, now they've been replaced with public Wi-Fi kiosks. Right. You like they're those those towers that have oh, that actually yeah, do yeah, have yeah. a phone in them, you know, that you could get free Wi-Fi and they actually do have a telephone in them if you need to make a local call. I will say that's um, one of
0: the cool things about New York. And when I, I lived in New York previous and then moved to to the West Coast and I'm back in New York and um, in between when I was gone, they installed these things all over Manhattan and Queens and, and Brooklyn, I imagine, maybe the Bronx, too. Um, Staten Island, you're on your own. Who, who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> poor Staten Island. Um, do we have any listeners in Staten Island? Did I just insult some people? Um, but they have these cool, like, they look almost like telephone poles that cut about maybe 10 feet tall. And they have, yep. like, a light at the top and a, and a flat screen, like, LCD screen showing, like, aren't you cool that you live in New York City or something? Or, you know, here's a little drawing of little Shirley, aged four, or whatever. But then there's, like, <laughs> free USB charging. So if you're homeless and you have a phone, you can charge your phone there, which is cool. And you're right. You can actually make phone calls. And I think it's anywhere in the country because it's all VoIP, voice over IP, internet Well, oh, maybe it yeah. is.
1: Yeah. It might not even be just local. So ones. too bad yeah. we
0: don't have healthcare in this country. But, you know, we, we have these things right. in New York City, so.
1: And the speed from them is actually pretty decent. Like you know, if you go to a restaurant and get on their Wi-Fi, sometimes it's like five megabits. I think these ones give out like something like fifty or sixty megabits. It's it's a decent speed for like street browsing. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah. Anyway, so we cut down to the canteen and Missus Slocum, they're they're talking about where she's going to stay that night. Well. I guess I'll have to go to a hotel unless one of our, my friends can offer me accommodation. <laughs> and she looks
0: around at everybody. <laughs> She's dropping
1: the biggest hint ever possible. And everyone simultaneously picks up their coffee. In to unison, drink, it was right? so cute. In, in unison. Yeah, yeah. So they all start to give their excuses about why they can't host uh, Mrs. Silkum tonight. Um, with Count Peacock, his wife is away visiting her sister and there might be talk. There might be talk. Mm. Mm. I don't think he wasn't thinking about that at the Christmas party.
0: Eh, with his blow tickler. I loved how um, he said, you could stay at my place, Mrs. Slocum. And then instantly Mrs. Slocum s- turns her head and speaks to Mr. Humphreys. Oh, thank you, Captain Peacock. Isn't he a gent? It was so cute how instantly, because she was so wanting one of those people to
1: put her up for the and night. And for every every single one, the second any of them open their mouth, <laughs> she thanks them, thinking that they're offering. And then they offer the excuse, right? Um, with Mr. Goldberg, the cold water tank had sprung a leak in the ceiling. And then it was something about like electrocuting the bed. Yeah. I was so confused. So i
0: when I was a kid, the cold water tank sprang a leak. Okay. Right. So if you're not accustomed to how, if you're not acquainted with how houses were built in the 1920s in the UK, you wouldn't understand that joke. Because back then they had a water tank in the ceiling. Right. Because of whatever reason, right? So
1: unless you... Victorian plumbing, yeah, catching Yeah, and if you rain, didn't know, like, right.
0: they could leak and then they could fall down, you know, so that was confusing. But then he said, Mr. Goldberg said, unfortunately, the, the hot water tank sprung a leak and the ceiling came down on the bed, which got onto the electrics that electrified the springs
1: to uh, the bed. Oh, okay, I got
0: it. I'm assuming to the bed. Right.
1: What does that mean? Yeah, so... Do you know? So the the coil, the, the coil in the in the mattress frame, right, it went into the socket. That's what he's saying. That the spring became uncoiled and magically made its way into the socket. I thought they had some
0: sort of electronic device that you would buy <laughs> like a mattress that you plug into the electrical outlet that would like make it extra springy or maybe warmed. Like an electric so tea like, cozy for your body,
1: like the electric, um, like the electric Murphy bed that Captain Peacock and Mister Humboldt had to share in camping. <laughs>
0: in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was a very strange. Yeah, yeah. I, I pictured electric springs as a child. Like, do people in England have electrical springed beds? What's
1: this mean?
0: <laughs> I was confused as a child.
1: Mister Lucas doesn't have a spare bed to offer, but says you could snuggle with me. So there's actually an offer on the table. And if this would have been season one, Mrs. Slocum would have taken him up on it. Well, you it. would have had too because you have of a, a crush, crush on Mr. Lucas. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Mr. Humphreys can't accommodate either because he's got three Pakistani nuns staying with Typical him. Typical night. Well, they will, they will be by the time we get to the fancy dress party. <laughs> And Miss Brahms has her brother's rugby team over, and usually they take the train, but the transport strike on, so they have to stay at her house in order to catch the bus. Right, so we're, we're keep yeah, we're going. We're kind of yeah. like
0: planting the seed that transportation that might be an issue. And I love that Mr. Lucas then says, "I know, Mr. Humphrey's can stay with Miss Brahms with all the men, and then uh, Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms can stay together." And then I think Mr. Humphrey says something like, that's all I need is to be tackled as I'm going to the bathroom holding my te- my Paddington bear. <laughs> <laughs> they could have easily made that a gay joke, though, but they didn't.
1: They didn't. They save it for a little bit later on, right? <laughs> and so does um, Mr.
0: Humphrey's. Ms-
1: <laughs> Mr. Harmon lets Mrs. Silcombe know that her goods have arrived and they're in the goods lift and the men are taking the their time. Uh, taking them up to the fifth mm. floor and wants to make sure that he sees them right, you know, with some money. And so he gestures money by rubbing his fingers together of his right hand, yeah. but he makes a point of holding it under his left arm, which I thought was kind of odd. I wasn't know sure if that was, like, being discreet about it, but um, it was just, just a very odd the way that he, like, made sure to, like, put it under his other arm to yeah, hide
0: discretion. it. Yeah, discretion. I mean, again, the British... Culture, American culture, blah, blah, blah. Um, In the States, like when I first moved to New York City, I learned that it's not completely rude to say, oh, my God, what a fabulous apartment. Great party. How much do you pay?
1: You know, like we're very – Oh, yeah. Super – Rent is a free topic (laughs) in New York. You can can ask someone how much they pay for their apartment. That's on the table. Yeah. Anywhere else in the country – not so much. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure like, that there are some places. Oh my God, a
0: fabulous car, it's, a new, it's used, right? Yeah, I only paid $12,000 for it or whatever. Like we kind of throw dollar amounts around, almost like, look what a great shopper I am, I got this car really cheaply, blah, blah, blah. But over in the UK, UK folks, tell me if I'm wrong, I have a feeling that you do not discuss money and it is the height of being low class and that is just not what you do. I watch a lot of British TV shows on YouTube Um, There's a really great show called Hotel Inspector with Alex Polizzi. She's like um, kind of Uh an expert in business. And she will get these business people, like families oftentimes, who have a restaurant or whatever, and she'll try to help their business because if they don't, they're about to go under and have to close. So she's there as an expert helping them out. And a lot of things come down to they just don't like to talk about money with their customers. Because, oh, you don't do that, you know? And she kind of breaks it down like, listen, you're a business person. You have to talk about money. So I do notice on these British shows I watch a lot of times, oh, money, you don't talk about it. Um, and you don't even talk about prices of things if you're a business person. So maybe that's a cultural thing about the Brit- British people and American people here. Um,
1: so there's the, there's this show. There's this show on – I think it's on BBC2 called Mock the Week. Okay. And it's one of those p- panel comedy shows. Okay. And I, there's this clip that goes around the internet every once in a while. Um, a, a famous British comedian, Angela Barnes, uh, she does a set. Um, she is very cockney, uh, very thick cockney accent. Okay. And she does a set where she was um, brought on to be the entertainment at um, some polo club, some very, very posh event. Um, and she's like, you know how you could tell the posh people from the working class is that we're not afraid to tell you about a deal. You know, if someone tells you, oh, that's a great top, Debenham's 10, 10 pounds, right? They'll say that right away. So it might be it might be a class thing, you know, that, you know, we're, some people who are not posh or not of the upper class are not afraid to, sh- like, I'm good with money. Look at what a good deal I can get. Like, that's how I've always um, – Uh, that's how I've always interpreted when people respond like that. So
0: you're saying over in the UK, like if you, if you're posh and you're a rich person, but you've got a good... You don't
1: talk about money. You don't talk about money. It's the working class that will easily say, (laughs) uh, how much you paid and where you can get it, right?
0: Yeah, because it's like a badge of honor. Like, look, I've saved money. (laughs) Whereas
1: here in the States, um... In, in New York City with rent, it's, you know, if you got a great deal, you want people to know about it because rent is atrocious in, in, this, <laughs> yeah. in this area, right? Yeah. So it's that kind of thing. It's not so much bragging, look how much I can afford to spend. It's look at what a great deal I got because I'm an educated consumer or whatever. Yeah, if you're right? going
0: to a party in Chelsea, West Manhattan, um, and it's like a two-bedroom and a glorious building, oh you're not God. going to say – Oh my god, how much is your apartment? But if it's like a pre-war walk-up in the in like Washington Heights and it doesn't look like it's brand new and it's, you know, you might ask, "Oh, I I, I hate to ask how much you pay, but yeah, like if you know it's going to be $4,000 a month in the West Village or something, you're not going to say. Right. So you kind of, you know, feel it out a little bit. But yeah, it, yeah it, That's right. It's true. interesting. This episode there's lots of little things that Mrs. Mrs. Slocum will say something or um Mr. Harmon will do a thing, kind of under under his arm, which really kind of speaks to culture a lot. We've, you know, this is a, a big
1: episode, isn't it? It is. It indeed. is indeed, Mr. Branda. Um And then we get a first from Molly Sugden, where she flubs her line.
0: I know. I noticed
1: that. It was so so pronounced, right? Um, I've had a marvelous idea. There's plenty of. Re- I'm going to stay in my flat. Well, you haven't got a flat. Oh, yes, I have. There's a lot of room on that I know, flat, right? I so know. So she's decided that rather than just keep her things in boxes, she's going to unpack it all and lay it out as if it's her own apartment.
0: Which makes sense on a TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I will say, m- Mrs. Slocum, uh, Molly Sugden, she made a mistake. But as a kid, I didn't notice it was a mistake because it was so quick. And she had this little thing. Almost like when you're saying something and, and then you change, right. you kind of point your finger up and you change, I just changed what I was going to say and I'm just going to push through. She kind of did that with her line, which yeah. I think a lot of folks, um, if they weren't as good of an actor as Molly Sugden is or was, um, they would have not done that as nearly as, per, as flawlessly, I think. She's yeah. pretty cool.
1: Uh, so she does have to ask permission after all. And so she goes to see young Mr. Grace, who's napping. Uh, the nurse <laughs> advises the secretary to wake him gently, and we see Mister. Silcum coming in wearing the Cleopatra brand extra long deluxe eyelashes in order to flirt with him. I have to, I have to, to uh, jump in. get him to she, say yes. So the uh, Cleopatra
0: extra long eyelashes—that's what Miss Brahm said. Oh, be sure to wear these. But I love the right. way she says deluxe, deluxe, deluxe. I love it and I bet you a lot of other people did love the way she says that. And if I ever to like like become a billionaire and make like open up bars and restaurants, one bar would be called Club
1: Deluxe. <laughs> Just because it's so DE-L O O K S, Deluxe. Yeah. Deluxe. <laughs> Mr. Young Mr. Grace thinks she's there to ask for a raise and salary and so she starts to explain to him and we fade off camera. And so um I'm dying to find out if Mr. Grace is going to let her stay in the department overnight, but I'm famished. I think we got to go on down to the canteen for a tea break.
0: I'm right there with you. I've got fairy cakes on my mind, so let's go. What did you just call me? (laughs) Uh, Let's go grab some fairy cakes and we'll be right back. Hello Unanimous, this is Mr. Brandon
1: And this is Mr. Jeff
0: Did you wake up this morning and think How could I support my favorite podcast While also letting the world know That I'm a proud member of the Unanimous
1: Does your morning coffee vessel Leave you feeling neither one way nor the other Perhaps your smartphone cover
0: Fails to confirm your
1: charm Personality, vitality, and youth Worry no more Visit our That Does Suit Madam Online bargain basement shop They've just come in You could buy your very own, that does suit madam, official tote bag. (laughs) A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow, perfect for hiding your Paddington Bear.
0: We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup.
1: And of course, t-shirts.
0: But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear.
1: Support your favorite podcast with some That Doesn't Matter merch.
0: All at imfree.threadless.com
1: imfree.threadless.com and, and you've, you've all, all done, done very well. well. Oh, Mr. Brandon, I wonder if that canteen manageress will ever be in a good mood.
0: Probably not. Um, but my uh, fairy cakes were sweet and delicious. How about your
1: food? <laughs> my fairy cakes are always sweet and delicious.
0: Whoa, okay. She my said fairy that. cakes
1: bring all the boys to the yard.
0: Brings all the Humphreys to the canteen? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so, where were we in this fabulous, um, top rated episode of ours?
1: So we, we cut away from Mr. Rumbold's office and we see Mrs. Slocum in her dressing gown pouring a cup of tea. So she's staying the night in her, her flat that she's got set up in Department 5B. Um, the lamps come on just about five seconds after the scene starts. So mm-hmm. thank you to the, uh, the lighting crew for missing the cue there. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, you know, when we, we think that it's a miscue, but then Harmon comes in and he lets her know that he just hooked up the electricity. All right, so that's go why Mr. turned who, who,
0: If you don't like Mr. Harmon, I don't like you. I'm just going to say it there, <laughs> you know?
1: You know, Mr. Brandon, you really have to learn how to form an opinion one of these days.
0: <laughs> I have very strong thoughts about that, and here they go.
1: <laughs> um, and he even offers to fetch her milk in the morning. Like, how, how kind, right? I know, and
0: Mr. Slocum says, surely they don't deliver up here. Because back then, I think up until the 90s even, you would have, like, milk They're delivery still today. to your home.
1: We've oh, talked yeah. about this before. They do That's deliver right. today. Well, I mean, I don't know about pandemic times, but you yeah. Know, before but it was the pandemic, cute. That Mrs. Salkin like, living. surely
0: they don't deliver to the fifth floor of our office, you know? No, of course I'll fetch some up from the canteen for you. And that scene, he's just such a sweetheart. That guy,
1: love yeah. that. He also hooks up a telephone for her, and Rumbold calls to <laughs> ask her to come down to a staff meeting. Right. Oh, so she's not in her. He's not in her dressing down. Just, just yet, because she's got to go back downstairs. That's right. It's later on that we see her pouring the cup of tea, because she arrives in Mister Rumbold's office wearing a rain cone and rain bonnet. She's just come from the fifth floor. It's so cute. She's such a creature of habit.
0: You know, which you know, people do that. You when I walk into my apartment, the first thing I do is lock the door. I take off my headphones. I take off my mask. I set the mask in the right spot. I take my keys and wallet, put on the thing. You know, we all have these little little customs that we do, and she's just a creature of habit, which is so cute that she, she's such a creature of habit. She has to recreate her apartment on the floor, which is such a cool idea. So
1: odd. So odd, right? So Mr. Rumboldt announces that there is a train and bus strike on, and young Mr. Grice has decided to close the store early to let everyone go home. Um, Mr. Rumbold is taking a taxi home and he leaves and everyone else rushes past Slocum pushing her out of the way to try and get the last train. Oh, I could only have to go upstairs. It's so great how lucky I am that none of my friends could offer me accommodation but mm-hmm. I only have to go
0: upstairs. That's right. That's right. This is also something really cool that I noticed that in this scene we get to see a side of Mrs. Slocum that is Unique to the entire show.
1: This is the only time that she's seen being very domestic and motherly,
0: and like fem—not feminine. I hate that word, and like because women are more than just feminine, but but m- maternal, you know, and like yeah. caring and very soft spoken, and like when she's when she's tending to Winston the canary, she's so. And of course, at the time, she had two kids of her own, Molly Sugden. So I could definitely see that that is exactly how she would speak to her own children. Of course. Um, Here you are, sweetheart. Isn't it nice to be back home? So nice, right? Um, And then, of course, she gets all sex crazed later on. But for this time of the episode.
1: (laughs) For just a little bit, (laughs) it's motherly motherly and maternal, right? (laughs) Yeah. So here she is. This is where she's she's, uh, pouring the kettle. And she's actually filling up a hot water bottle to put in her bed to keep her bed warm. Which
0: was confusing to me as a child. Really? Because, well, I mean, when I grew up in Arkansas, we didn't have such things. Did you have that in the East Coast when you grew up?
1: Well, I've seen family members filling up hot water bottle when they had like a sore back or something like that. But like never to put inside the bed to keep the bed warm.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because, um, you know, I I did spend a little bit of time um, in the UK and, um, my friend Jim, who I, I stayed with super sweet guy, you know, he had an old house built in the 1850s and it was cold because it's England. <laughs> so, um, you know, he said like, I, I don't have a water bottle like that, but, um, it would come in handy because, you know, it would be an evening night, uh, in the late autumn and... You wished you had some source of heat. And, of course, you know, those old houses, they're so drafty with the heat and stuff that you could heat your house, but you'd spend a fortune on the coal or or gas or whatever. So, yeah, I guess back then in the 70s, like maybe an electric blanket. Like that's what we had when I was a kid. Maybe that was something that didn't really happen in the 70s. I
1: don't know. So she's getting ready to go to bed, and suddenly she remembers she has to lock the door, again, because she's a creature of habit. It's not a real door. It's like half a panel that they took from a (laughs) display, but it's got three deadbolts and a chain on it, and so she locks them all. Mm -hmm. And then um, just as she's getting ready to read her book, Mr. Humphreys rings her doorbell. And so she goes through the process of unlocking the doors. Meanwhile, he walks around the set. Because it's not enclosed. It's not a real apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, turns out that he's unable to get home and has to make a 15-mile walk back home. And so she decides to offer him the spare room, which has got a half-queen-sized bed. Well, that's better than no queen at all, I suppose. <laughs> um, Love it. So I wasn't sure if a ha- what a half-queen was. Because I know that I stayed in some hotels on some flats throughout Europe where the beds are comically small.
0: Yeah. They have like and, a whole different mattress sizing thing over there. So
1: they've got a completely different system there, right? So the smallest usual bed that you get is a small single, but that's the same width for us as a toddler bed, but just the same, the same length as an adult size bed. It's just really, really narrow. Um, And then there's a single, which is two inches narrower than a twin. And then there's a small double or a queen, which is six inches narrower than a full.
0: Right. So a queen over there is smaller than a full mattress in the States. Correct. So a full mattress is not a large mattress it's sort of what you had in i don't know like your first apartment when it's just you like a couple could sleep on a mattress but you know
1: it's yeah you're getting cuddly let's say right
0: and i'll say like going back to the houses of the 1850s and stuff you know um the reason you don't have giant giant beds in the uk is that the houses are small and If you had a giant california queen a california king mattress it literally could not fit up the narrow stairs right and you'll also notice that like beds um oftentimes are kind of they have almost like big boxes that you kind of shove together to put your mattress on top of because everything has to be drawn up these tiny little stairwells going up and make and a tight corner so you can't make giant giant furniture like we have in no. the US. So that's probably what explains why there's so many different types of mattress sizes and stuff. Cuz I know no. a lot of times in hotels you'll get two single beds and you'll smush them together and zip them like together Lucy with and like Ricky. a big right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So
1: right. that still happens. Um uh, what they call a double is what we call a full. Right. And that's usually how you'll see it advertised in hotels is, you know, two double beds. Right. In a room. It's two full beds. Um, What they call a king is what we call a queen. And what they call a super king for us is six inches narrower than a king. So Mm -hmm. the the, the width of a California king, but not as not the extra length that a California king has.
0: I mean, really, unless you're going to be Hugh Hefner. Why do you need a California king, people? I mean, you don't have...
1: Well, if you're tall, if you're tall, you need a California king. Do because you? Because a California king is narrower than a regular king. It's just longer. Oh. Like, yeah. Hmm, okay. So she asks, uh, Mrs. Silicom asks him, do you sleep as nature intended? Well, I've never done anything as nature intended.
0: <laughs> no, d-
1: do you sleep in the old together? Why do you ask? Oh, she's got something She sticks her finger up knowingly Uh, And she's got a pair of spare pajamas From when she used to host um, a brush salesman
0: Oh, you've, you've entertained gentlemen before, Mrs.
1: Loco And so this is a little bit of a button That we visit a couple of times Because apparently the bristles From his brushes got everywhere And they're still around um, and so, Mr. Silcum is showing Mr. Humphreys around the guest room, and uh, it's got a teas made and a telly in the cupboard and an electric blanket. So, this is one of your favorite appliances.
0: I have to gush about the teas made. So, if anyone's a super fan of the pod podcast and they want and you want to send us presents, you can send Brandon, Mr. Brandon, a teas made if you'd like. We can. Uh, <laughs> Get my address out to you later if you email the podcast. Um, so, a teas made. So, this is the first time I ever learned what a teas made is. It's extremely un American, not in a seditious way, but like it's just not American. <laughs> we have no idea what this is. So, a teas made, uh, and I've mentioned this in a couple of episodes already.
1: You it's have, you very, have indeed, Mr. Brandon. I know, that's all <laughs> I talk about.
0: Um, here goes Brandon again talking about teas made. Um, But it's an appliance that the UK has, and I don't think it's popular now, but it it was a very 1960s, 70s, and the 50s a bit, um, sign of middle-class suburban domesticity. So um, if you're a rich, landed, noble person in Britain, you have staff. You have a, a maid, and you have a cook, and you have a blah, blah, blah. One of the ways that these types of folks in the UK, even to this day, um, sometimes get woken up in the morning, or like the queen, the way you wake up the queen, Queen Elizabeth II, Her Royal Highness, um, someone enters her room very quietly, opens the drape, so the sun comes in, and places um, a tea serving next to her bed. And then she has her tea right there. That's how you wake up. That's how the quality wakes up. Well, if you're lower class, uh, lower middle class, um, you know, upwardly mobile, but you don't have lots of cash, you can't afford a maid. You can't do all of these things. So someone invented an alarm clock in the 1930s, I think, that would brew a cup of tea. (laughs) Um, So you, you set it up in the evening before you go to sleep and you set the alarm and you put the water in there and a little tea bag and you plug it in. And instead of an alarm, it brews tea for you. So the fact that, like, gosh, I wish we had enough money to have a maid. Well, we don't, dear. But instead, I bought you this appliance for Mother's Day or for Christmas or your birthday. And um, anyway, it's called a tea's maid. So there's this whole thing. And um, John Majors was the prime minister, a conservative prime minister in the late 80s, early 90s, perhaps? 90s,
1: yep. yeah.
0: And he was, you know, kind of middle class, which at the time was kind of a, bi- a, a big deal because yeah. everyone else had been, like, you know, quite rich as prime minister. And I remember reading that the, the tabloids made it a big deal, almost like it was a shameful embarrassment that he had a teesman because it's so associated with, you know, like housewives in the suburbs who, are, who don't have staff right? So by having Mrs. Slocum have a tease made, that sort of tells the audience of 1979 UK, this is kind of where she is in the stratification of of society. And, you know, Mrs. Slocum, she's very concerned about not being dead common and, you know, taking her earring off or the telephone. So that's kind of a little, that's sort of like a little um, sign that, She's she's a middle class lady, and she takes her so, earrings off. You know.
1: So so just like her northern accent comes out sometimes, the tease maid betrays her, and tells her what class she really is.
0: I don't know if it betrays her or if it's sort of like, no, I'm middle class. I have a tease maid. You know, it's almost like I'm hey, proud live of in this- a detached
1: house. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well. So wh- she lives what do on you the do? Floor in this episode, but yeah.
1: What do you do with the milk?
0: Well that, I, I don't I don't know about the milk. I mean maybe someone oh, out there come can invent. On. <laughs> you just talked <laughs> the about the Teas Made for
1: milk. five minutes and you don't know what to do with the milk.
0: Ugh. Honestly, I thought about go, I go on ebay.co.uk and look up Teas and like figure out <laughs> can I buy one and have it shipped? I really want these things. But um, yeah, so I've always said one day I'm gonna find the coolest tea ever, and there's one by a company called Goblin. I'll post it on the Facebook page so you can see what it looks like. Um, but it's really cool. It's, it's it's a very British thing. Like having a teapot and a tea's made and I don't know, I'm trying to think. Like what's the most quintessentially th- British thing you could have on like an end table next to your bed? A picture uh, of the queen. Let's
1: see. A picture of the queen. Um, a puzzler. A, you know, a copy of Take a Break. Um, <laughs> your season ticket. Um, to the tube, yeah. Your uh, your lucky... Uh, your Paddington Bear. Your Paddington Bear. <laughs> your, your lucky half crown that you got. Um, your Blue Peter badge. There's lots of things you could have on your own <laughs> tube. Well, there you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so Mr. Humphrey says, with the transit strike going on, it might last a whole week, and I might have to stay here the entire time. And Mrs. Slocum is very excited about the idea about having a guest for a week. And then she thinks for a second, and thinks that a long-term companion might not be a bad thing. This
0: might not be a bad thing. She can tell she's thinking about it.
1: And she starts to set her romantic sights on Mr. Humphreys. Which is not the last time we see that. It's not. It's not the first time, and it's not the last time. And so she's (laughs) known Mr. Humphreys for quite some time, and while he's never very explicit about you know, which way the wind is blowing, you think she would have figured it out by now. And here's, here's a, the, the other thing that, you know, we, we, we hear some more clues about this later on. So just keep that in mind until we get to the end of the episode, okay. right? All right. So <laughs> she gets off telling him that it might not be a bad thing, and then all of a sudden we have this non-sequitur where... Yeah, it's weird. Mr. Humphrey's <laughs> is cl- clear, clearing out the attic and found this old calendar with the Week of Love. Monday is for meeting, Tuesday is for talking, Wednesday is for wishing, Thursday is for touching, and Friday, for some reason, had been torn out. Right? You get this great build up, and he delivers <laughs> that line with the rhythm just right. He's so you good. You think he's going to say it? You think he's going to say it? Some reason had been torn out. Right? Fuck
0: is the word. He was so, going to
1: say. <laughs> thank you, thank you for because <laughs> at thirteen, that. I'm like, what is
0: Friday for? I don't know. What is it? <laughs>
1: And so Mrs. Slocum advises him to, to pretend you're on a camping holiday with a friend. Well, that wasn't the best suggestion you could have given <laughs> me, but camp being an adjective for gay. And mm-hmm. so she brings him to her bed and he has a feel of it. Oh, there's lots of life in this mattress. Oh, and there's lots of life in me as well. And she starts bouncing up and down on this bed.
0: She's almost like a kid, right? Right. She's almost like Shirley aged four. No, not Sally aged four.
1: Little Alice. What little Alice the, aged little four. Little girl. Little four. Yeah. so cute. And then the doorbell rings, and Mister Humphrey's panics. Me mother, he runs for the parlor, like makes a bee line throughout the entire apartment, does a dive roll onto the couch, and is shaking, holding the reading of the magazine, right? Which um, is
0: Women's World, which is like a very housewifey magazine. And I yeah. love that, even at his age, which I don't know, thirties, forties, fifties. Who know how old? Who knows how old he is?
1: Late thirties, yeah.
0: his mother like what are you doing in a woman's apartment right almost like he's a young woman in a man's apartment because right the mother is like what are you Mm -hmm. doing over
1: there you know exactly so (laughs) it's it is not mrs humphreys it actually turned out to be captain peacock who also needs accommodation for the night so she ends up putting him in the spare room because Mr. Humphreys is gonna share Mrs. Slocum's bed. Once the lights are out, no one's gonna know. And you see Mr. Humphreys start to like bite his nails, have a really mm-hmm. worried look on his face. Um, and we see just the frustration building as more and more of their colleagues arrive asking for a place to stay. Um, it's Mr. Lucas, and she says that he can share the bed with Peacock. So he does this, he does a bit where he strips off and he has nowhere to hang his pants, so he just throws them on the floor. He gets into bed wearing his dress shirt, his tie, and his wife fronts. Right?
0: You forget there's the, a weird thing where he's standing there with his like droopy wife fronts on. Um, and he's kind right, of facing the audience. A, looking so. for a
1: place to hang his trousers. Yeah,
0: but of course, like people are kind of giggling and just watching him. And they're like, what's going on? And he takes a long time, like it's stretched out, the scene. Yeah, then he turns around really slowly, real quickly actually, and you can see like the curvature of his ass, and the crowd (laughs) erupts in laughter. Because I guess in 1979... To see a butt was, like, hilarity. But, you know, that was a long time ago. That was 40 years ago. So,
1: unanimous. Mr. Brand is, has calculated the tangential radiant of the circumference of Mr. Lucas's butt in his droopy wife. Well, hey, so-
0: I'm not the one who, who thinks he's dishy. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's you, my friend. But uh, I'm, I'm waiting for the episode with that dishy uh, golf, uh, golf, golf club display person. That's, that's my, my favorite.
1: Uh, and so he climbs into bed with Captain Peacock, Humphreys, Lucas, well, thank God for that. <laughs> and they turn off a good bit.
0: Imagine crawling into like a single bed with one other person that you work with.
1: With my boss? With no pants no. on. And you don't no. even know
0: who it is. You know, no. It's
1: crazy. No, it's a nightmare. <laughs> um Next are Mr. Rumbold and Mr. Goldberg. Mr. Goldberg has been relegated to the tub. Mr. Rumbold is going to share the bed with Count Peacock and cooks out Lucas to the floor,
0: right? Because even after hours, he still has seniority to declare where you get to sleep and relegate you to the floor. That's
1: crazy. Where did you watch (laughs) this episode, Mr. Brandon? Did you watch it on Britbox or on the DVD or... Oh, I watched it on BritBox. Very interesting
0: question. Why?
1: I did too, because I noticed that there was that after Mr. Mister Lucas gets kicked out of bed, I feel like he starts to make some sign of speech like that. Like I thought we were allowed to be, you know, human beings after the light, after the bell went or something like that. But in the BritBox version got cut off and I didn't get a chance to check the DVD to see if he actually makes it. Like a, maybe he makes an off-color joke that had to get cut for air uh, for, for streaming purposes. You
0: know, I'm trying to think, I didn't even notice that. Um, I think I remember him saying, oh, it's marvelous, isn't it? I remember him saying that.
1: Right. Well, you know, listeners, if you know, if you know what's going on here, if there actually was a cut line, let us know and uh, hang around for a bit and you'll hear how to, uh, how to get in touch with us. So, finally, Miss Brahms arrives, who wants to share Mrs. Slocum's bed, and she doesn't know that Mr. Humphreys is supposed to share the bed. I've had four proposals between here and the bus stop, and they wasn't marriage. Oh, poor Miss Brahms, yeah. So, the jig is up. Mr. Humphreys has to go to the couch uh, so that Miss Brahms can share her bed with Mrs. Slocum. And so, Mrs. Slocum asks Mr. Humphreys, are you disappointed or relieved? Well, neither one way or the other. Right. So we have Which is a, a classic
0: joke about Mr. Humphreys, right?
1: Right. So we have a clue here that Mrs. Slocum thinks he might be relieved because he's carrying the secret. But I think what this speaks to of being of the time is the notion of the sexless gay on TV. Right. We had talked about this before. Where there yeah. in the seventies and the eighties there started to be a lot of gay character there started to be some gay characters brought into sitcoms for comedic effect. Or onto drama for sympathy effect, but they were always mm-hmm. sexless. You know, they were never shown being in happy relationships or in romantic relationships. Even as recently as Modern Family, the hit show on ABC, um, the the gay couple on there, Mitch and Cameron, they were never as intimate as the other married couples had been. Like, you know, they barely kissed on the cheek. And this is something yeah. that you know we're we're slowly making inroads in, and in a lot of popular culture, but the 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 trope still is pervasive. Forty five years later,
0: you know, slightly after I got into *Are You Being Served*? It was I don't know, nineteen ninety five or something. Um, I remember on E Network. I don't know if that's still around. Um, Melrose Place was a show that I used to watch, and yeah. I remember because there is a gay character, and I thought he was so cute.
1: Yeah, okay. Played by Doug Savant. Yep.
0: Uh, hello. There you go. Um and I remember it kind of making the news or whatever. I think Entertainment Tonight had a segment because on it.
1: Because it was going to be the f- it was going to be one of the first gay kisses on primetime. On network primetime, absolutely. Right, but
0: I it's funny cuz I don't remember the kiss. I remember Well, they how... cut it.
1: They cut it. That's why at the last minute.
0: Oh. Well, what I was going to say is and that's even more interesting, but I remember how all the other all the other uh, characters, and this is kind of going into, like, queer theory and media at this point, which is not the podcast, but just to finish here, I remember all the other characters would, like, have mouth sex. I mean, they would get really <laughs> yes. hot and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the gay characters would give a deep, warm hug to each other, you know? And I right. thought, as a young man, I remember thinking, that's not the same, you know? That's bullshit even when i was a kid i'm like that's not the same that's not fair so yeah there is this definite like uh, the celluloid closet is a really great movie and book documentary Uh, if you're interested in this topic it's really great to watch it was done in the 80s um really good stuff if the culture at large isn't um, supportive of um the lgbt folks remove whatever aspect makes them different than everyone else well that's our sexuality the fact that um, we find people of the same gender attractive and we want to flirt and like, oh, he's cute, right? But like if that
1: makes... Taking the sex out of homosexuality. Yeah, if
0: that makes like housewives in the 80s in the middle of the country feel gross, then just never mention that part of it and just kind of make them campy.
1: Yeah. That's Mr. Humphreys, right? So the the other kind of clue that I had that she that I would think that Mrs. Silcum is cottoned on to what's going on is that she endearingly calls him chicken when she's saying good night to him. Right. And mm. so in, in my mind, you know, chicken is gay slang for a twink, right. For a younger, early twenties, um, gay man. But in Polari, it's just slang for any young, attractive, slim man. So it makes sense that Mrs. Silicom, who is in this kind of motherly, flirting with the idea of being a romantic partner that isn't going to happen so we're back to motherly calling him chicken in this romantic way but it still has a lot of gay undertones to me i don't know why
0: i like that approach i I didn't even think of that but now that you said that when mrs slocum calls him chicken i thought it was very sweet but it made me think of the north of, of england because up in yorkshire where mrs slocum is from um, I don't remember where, if we ever learn where she's from, or even where Molly Sugden was born herself. But in the south of Yorkshire, uh, a term of endearment is to call someone a duck. So oh. when she calls him chicken, I thought, I wonder if that's like a kind of a, calling someone a duck is a northern thing. I don't know. She's from Blackpool. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Is she? I so, don't know. I don't remember. So nowhere near, well, no, the character, the character's in Blackpool. Um, nowhere near your That's up in sure. the north anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, yeah, West coast there but Yeah I mean who knows but I, I like the Polari thing That's cool
1: So they're all quiet and going to sleep Mr. Humphreys is in the living room And he gives um, Tiddles a little tickle Under the chin and she meows And then we hear throughout the entire flat Mr. Humphreys leave my pussy alone
0: <laughs> And then everyone bolts up in their In their beds What's going on? And then we hear the, uh, the, 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 the registers yeah. and
1: the end credit. Yeah. Yay. Um, I hope we did this fan favorite justice because we know that everyone was really looking forward to this one. Uh, this is a great episode. Uh, I, I'm so glad to get to watch it again. Yeah.
0: And, um, what I mentioned a little bit on the, uh, last episode we did for, um, oh, so I forget the name of it.
1: Strong stuff, uh, this insurance. Strong
0: stuff, this insurance. Yeah. It's too long of a title. Um, you know, when I was a 13-year-old kid, I, I'm I, as an adult now, I'm very much a homey person. Like, I like to have my apartment laid out the right way and blah, blah, blah. So as a kid, I really liked the idea of I can't wait to get older and, and have my own apartment and be able to decorate it the way I want. And, of course, I was a big, you know, flamboyant gay man as a young boy. Um, so... Um, Last watch. I watched lots of Discovery Channel, the interior decorating shows when I was a child. <laughs> um, so to see, yeah, to see Mrs. Slocum create an apartment, I was like, oh, that's cool. Look, she has a little bedroom, and she has her little kitchen, and like little chairs, and oh, look at that lovely uh, uh, green leather divan. Ooh, that's dishy. Like that. So you know, this was like. Gay men, um, 1970s, the UK, interior decorating. It was a perfect episode for a (laughs) 13-year-old Brandon.
1: (laughs) So Uh, next week, so so this week we had a fan favorite, and next week we actually get Molly Sugden's favorite episode, (laughs) uh, which is Mrs. Slocum's senior person. This is the one where she takes over from Mr. Rumbold when he gets taken ill.
0: Ooh,
1: this is a good one. Seven, a season good one.
0: seven, you were right. This is a good
1: season. Yeah, this is a great episode because she gets to show off her acting chops here um, <laughs> yeah. in terms of go, displaying a wide range of emotions. <laughs> So M- Mr. Brandon if um, if people did figure out what that cut line from Mr. Lucas was or <laughs> they wanted to tell us the recipe for meringues or uh, tell us about their hot water tank in the ceiling that linked and uh, caused electrocution. how can our unanimous pals get in touch with
0: us? And if there are beds with electrical springs, you can uh, contact us on Facebook at that does Seat madam. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, DoesSuitMadam, and email is that does suit madam with an E, at gmail.com. Or you can call the Peacock Hotline, 662-PEACOCK. That is 662-732-2625. Let us know your favorite episode or the favorite episode of the podcast and why. And if you don't live in the States and you want to still send us a message, you can do so by recording a digital message audio recording on your smartphone's Uh, voice recorder app and emailing it to us and we can pop it on the show and with that mr jeff
1: as always you've you've all done done very well well. thank you unanimous bye Bye. Bye. that does suit madam is not endorsed by the bbc and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only are you being served is a copyrighted program of the bbc Apartment floors shall be covered with rugs or carpeting to the extent of at least 80% of the floor area of each room, excepting only kitchen, pantries, and bathrooms.